much for listening to us on Sluts and Scholars. Of course, if you want to keep hanging out with us even when you're not listening to an episode, connect with us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Slut Scholars, or via email at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. We want your rants, your questions, and anything else. Is my squirt pee? How do I ask my partner to tie me up? What does the patriarchy have to do with the orgasm gap? We have questions, but we know some of your questions might be better. So please hit us up for our question and answer episode at slutsandscholars at gmail. Or you can slide into our DMs. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta. And I'm Simone. And I can hardly contain myself because we have Dr. Lori Mintz joining us this week. She's an award-winning college professor. She currently teaches psychology of human sexuality to hundreds of students a year at the University of Florida and has had over 20 years of experience working with private clients on sexual issues. Dr. Mintz has received numerous professional awards and is a fellow of the American Psychological Association. She's published over 50 research studies, right to psychology. Today blog and has been quoted basically wherever you've read anything like Cosmopolitan, Women's Day, Prevention, Women's Health, Men's Health, CNN, Oprah, and HuffPo. Uh, she also wrote an incredible book called Becoming Cliterate, which is basically the strip scripture for our beliefs here at Sluts and Scholars. Uh, and, and now Simone is the biggest fan. I'm a fan as well, but you're a newfound you're a president a of the fan club. Yes. No, and, and I'm just so honored. So hi. Hi, Lori. Hi, Dr. I am Hi, I'm a fan as well of yours and your podcast and what you're trying to do with it. So it's exciting to talk to you as well. Oh, yeah. thank you. It makes no, us we feel were, great. We were so honored. Lori reached out to us. Lori, is it okay if we call you Lori? Oh, please do. Okay. Please. Professor Mintz. <laughs> um, no, Lori actually reached out to us saying that. Which made she, us feel super cool. Super cool. And then she was like, I wrote this book. Do you want to read it? And Nicoletta was like, oh, I'm familiar with it. I'm good. And I was like, sure, I'll read it. And then I started reading it, and I could not put it down. I was reading it voraciously and sharing it with people all over. So I'm very excited and, uh, to share with you, dear listeners. Thanksgiving family time. Thanksgiving family time. Um, and kind mm-hmm. of the direction that I'm hoping to take this conversation in today, and kind of what I think is the essence of becoming cliterate, is, well, before I say what I think, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you're trying to achieve with becoming cliterate? Okay. Well, first of all, I also want to say I'm so glad that you brought Becoming Cliterate to Thanksgiving and tried, you know, brought that topic of conversation. I think that sounds like a fun family Thanksgiving, more fun than many Thanksgiving. Oh, 100% was like, like, will you just stop framing the conversation around sex about penises? Like, and I am. Can you pass the stuffing? There's like, there's like 11 grandchildren and only two of us are girls. And it was great. Oh, that is so awesome. My brother was super receptive. Well, that's great. Well, as you can imagine, my family talked about cliteracy as well. But back to your question, the essence of becoming cliterate is that we have an orgasm gap. We have a major gender inequity in our culture. And that is that um, in heterosexual, cisgendered sexual encounters, um, whether they're hookups or relationship sex and everything in between, Women are having significantly fewer orgasms than our men. And I can get into the details of that, but basically the goal of becoming clitor is to expose that gap, to expose the, the 
the cultural problems that are perpetuating that gap, and most importantly, to close the gap both in our culture and in individual bedrooms, um, oh, one orgasm yeah. at a time. Uh, we are so grateful for your efforts to close that gap. I just want to talk about how big this gap is. For example, I remember this was so jarring to me. In casual hookup sexual encounters, women orgasm 44, sorry, in casual hookup sexual encounters, women orgasm 4% of the time. And men is like 80%, right? Or is it higher? Well, it's actually, it was a little lower on for men. It was um, 4% of women versus 55% of men, That's which so is still sad. huge, say that they always orgasm during first-time hookup sex. And that's data I've collected myself over five years in my class. I use iClicker technology. So basically oh, yeah. the students, yeah. Have, I don't know if you've used that. I where that you in can, college, yeah. Oh, okay, the psychology so I, professors use Clicker. I think so, it's because it's a surreptitious <laughs> way of gathering data. It's not like you just right. click on something in, at it's your desk. It's a little desk. remote, and then the professor will oh. say, uh, "Have so I, I'm assuming, Laura, you were like, uh, women in the class, please say, please vote if you orgasm every time during first time hookup sex. Sometimes, time, never. Whatever, and then they just say yes, and then it's anonymous, and you can look at the data and talk about it live. It, Exactly. So I collect data that's never been collected like that question, but I also then will ask them questions like really related to the orgasm gap, like how many of you have faked orgasm? Like, have you ever faked orgasm? Yes, no. And it's unbelievable. The data, like I Mm. ask these questions and then I show the data and it's always consistent with the research. Like 70% of women have faked orgasm. Have you ever faked orgasm, Nicoletta? um, So we were talking about this before. Um, Simone asked if I've ever faked an orgasm. And I would like to say, I feel like in my most recent relationships, I have never faked an orgasm, but I've definitely faked one previously. Listeners out there, do not fake orgasms. It doesn't help you, and it doesn't help other future partners of people you're dating. Um, but I, I would say that Dr. I Dr. Lori Mintz in her book says that faking orgasm is only reinforcing for your partner what they shouldn't be doing. <laughs> exactly. I do feel like I have faked, not faked, but I've definitely magnified or accentuated like noises at the end if I'm sort of done and like ready for things to be done, but don't want to say like, just get off. Mm. Um, and I like want to bring pleasure to the other person and that brings me pleasure. So I'm sort of making more. I don't think that counts as Yeah, more, making though. more magnified maybe noises or sounds or words that I know they like. Especially if you've already come. Yeah. So I don't know if that's faking, but it's definitely, you know. Yeah. And I'm thinking a lot about, uh, Lori, the, the stat about first time hookup sex. And especially in college. And I'm thinking about if I had orgasms during first-time hookup sex in college. Like, I know I had, like, a consistent friends with benefits for, like, a year and change. We hooked up on Fridays. I called it Fun Frolicking Fridays. But (laughs) I don't really think I came that much with him. Interesting. Interesting. And do you think the – like, you know, if I asked you, do you think the reason that you didn't orgasm with him is because you weren't – you know, making your pleasure primary? Were you still buying into the myth that you should orgasm, should orgasm during intercourse? Do you, like all the reasons I expose in the book, which are, you know, know, the number one lie about getting laid that you should orgasm during intercourse, not feeling entitled to pleasure, body self-consciousness. I think the biggest thing for me, so I didn't have my first orgasm with a partner 
Um, and I didn't realize that I was having orgasms on my own. I didn't have my first like conscious recognition of an orgasm until my freshman year of college, even though I had been sexually active since I was 15 um, and like masturbating since I was a very small person. <laughs> um, and like masturbating to like I couldn't anymore and I would like crumple into a heap on the shower floor. But I do think like I didn't have I, I didn't have my first orgasm until I was like 18 and a freshman in college and by that time I'd had a lot of sex already. And I think I just lacked the ability to communicate like what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, what I do mean, you see as the like, reason for this it. gap? Like, well, how did so this many gap reasons. happen? Yeah. yeah, and I think you just labeled some of them yourself. But I, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons for the orgasm gap, and I'll just kind of list them off, and, and we can delve into any you want more. Yeah, I know which one more. I want to talk about. But okay, please, I can't wait to hear. <laughs> so I think, I think the, no, I call it the number one lie about getting laid is, that like we are bombarded with images of women having orgasms from intercourse alone. And, you know, it's really rare for that so to happen. Mm-hmm. It's so rare. And if only once a, what you is start, it? Less than 30% of women oh, can orgasm like, from like 3%. penile vaginal penetration alone. The the stats are really up in the air, but it's right now that used to be, everybody used to say 30%, 30%, but that's when you ask women the question, have you ever, can you orgasm from intercourse? Right. And women who maybe had one because they think they should mm. say yes. But when you ask the question differently, when you say, um, can you orgasm from thrusting alone? The um, number goes down to between 15 and 18%. But when I ask my students the question, what is your most reliable route to orgasm? Only 4% say thrusting alone. It's probably those 4% that get off during first time hookup sex too. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can't even tell you how glad I am that you said that. I am going to give you like the the glitter. Can I get an (laughs) egg? Because this is so interesting because I've taken that both of those polls um, across um, many classes, like what's your most reliable route to orgasm and you orgasm during first time hookup sex. And I asked these questions like very different lectures far apart in the semester. And, you know, the numbers have varied, but they've always matched exactly. So if 2% of the women say they orgasm from thrusting alone that semester, 2% will say they orgasm during first time hookup sex. If it's 4%, it's 4%. If it's three, it's three. And what's really interesting that you picked that up. I tried so hard to find a place in becoming clitorate to explain this. But it just, I couldn't quite get Save it in for the your right next way. Book. Well, I think, yeah. I think that what you, and you haven't even gone into all the reasons, but I think what's so successful with the book is kind of reframing the way that you, we like think about sex and like thinking about how obviously if we think of sex as just penetration and penetration is what gets you off, if you're engaging in sex that's just penetration, which is that shitty first time hookup sex in college then you're going to get off. It kind of makes sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the number one lie, lie is that you women have these amazing orgasms from thrusting alone. Yeah. Right. And once you see that lie, it's all over. Mainstream all over. porn, whatever, all over. You can't, you can't not see it. 
Um, and it's and interesting though, because I have so many clients that come in and say, like even they say, I know the 30% thing. I know that this is a thing, but they still are upset that they can't orgasm from penetration. Yeah. Right. Because that's so interesting because it's like, it's so out there as the best way. It's like we have this orgasm hierarchy. If you can mm. orgasm from penetration, you're the best alone. If you can do it by pairing penetration and clitoral stimulation at the same time, well, you're second best. And if you need straight up clitoral stimulation, oh, that's the losing thing. And there's mm. so many women who actually tell me like, I can't even orgasm with a penis in my vagina. I just need straight up clitoral stimulation. Mm -hmm. And they, they feel broken, but oh. really, you know, we, how, how do most women masturbate? The vast majority of women know how to get themselves off and to reach and experience orgasm alone. And only 1.2% of women uh, masturbate by solely putting something in their vagina. And, but we don't transfer that to partnered sex. So that's the number one reason. And it's all around us. We even use the word sex and intercourse synonymously. We talk about our vagina, which is calling our our genitals by the part that's more useful Just to the men entry than part. us cells. Lori, yeah. I think what made me love your book so much is that some of these things that I've kind of been like doing on my own in my life without having like a like realizing that other people were also super committed to this. Like I've had this conversation with friends about like I don't refer to my vulva as my vagina anymore. I really don't because like I'm not going to. A, it's erasing my pleasure parts, yeah. right? It's like erasure of the clitoris and like the labia and all the other amazing things down there. And it's so interesting, I've noticed, like some people, especially women, are like, no, like I'm not going to say vulva. Like vulva is a gross word. Like I'm just going to call it my vagina. I've always called it my vagina. Like why am I going to change it? And to me it's like so obvious that when you're just using the part of your body that can be that is pleasurable for a man. It's just so obviously like there's minimizing. It's minimizing and it's also like linguistically perpetuating what absolutely obviously doesn't work. Like the word vagina means sheath and like comes from the word for sheath in Latin. <laughs> like I'm not a exactly. fucking sheath. <laughs> I'm a bundle <laughs> of fucking nerves that you rub and then I explode. It does kind of look like a sheath though. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true. It's, you know, other people have called it like a linguistic genital mutilation, symbolic yeah. clitorectomy. And I borrowed those symbolic words. So but it's fucking true. Yeah. Our words erase our most. And, 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 and then we have these sexual scripts that go along with it. You know, like there's foreplay, just like yeah. anything that comes before the main act, just to get her ready for intercourse, intercourse male ejaculation, sex, over. And so even foreplay, the, the, the clitoral stimulation is just done to get ready for the real sex. So um, that is like, you know, the not, there's a lot of other cultural reasons, but to me that just overvaluing of Intercourse. the way men orgasm, right? It's, it's, it's inequality. It's gender inequality. We're overvaluing men's most reliable route to orgasm and undervaluing women's most reliable right. route to orgasm. And I think the orgasm. obvious solution is not to devalue men's route to orgasm at all. And I think that some people sometimes get 
nervous when we use this these kinds of words because they're like what because I'm a man like now it's like you have to make me less because I've just been happy for so long but to no, make it a little more equal I think it's recognizing that like your orgasm is so valuable but me thinking that I'm equally entitled to it doesn't make yours any less valuable so I know we focused on the main one that's number one but what are some other reasons um like you said that you can list of like why we have this gap Okay. So other reasons, um, and it all goes back, you know, back to socialization and culture. Um, so we have a terrible sex ed system. We have a sex ed system that's, um, only 23 states, um, have it and only 13 required to be medically accurate. So we wait, have wait, lies. Wait, wait, wait. Is that true? So sorry. I'm so sorry. Dr. Vince, only 13 of the 23 states that require sex ed medically accurate. Medically accurate. Like the other states can be like, oh no, you don't have a clitoris. Fun fact. They, nope, your they poop can, comes out of your urethra. <laughs> oh, you should hear the lies like that. People can give these people, you, can you imagine in any other topic, people can be told lies in sex ed for value-based um education. I've heard some real wild. Oh, let me hear let that. us hear them. I mean, I've heard the old school, like, you know, hair will grow on your arms if you masturbate or like, I don't know, stupid shit like that. What lies are so currently I've, being told to the children of America? I, I've had a student just as recently as last year tell me that in her high school, um, sex ed, she was told that if she lost her virginity, which is another word I don't like, yeah. before marriage, her vagina would mold to the shape of that man's penis <gasps> and her future husband would never be satisfied. Oh, man. I have heard a lot and I have not heard that one. I have tears Yeah, horrible, eyes. horrible. That I've made also, Simone, like, emotional. I've, I, my yeah. eyes are welling up. Like, that makes me so sad. And she Isn't was told this all? in school? Yeah. And you yeah, listen to it. your elders, like you listen to the people of teaching course, you. because you're told the people teaching you are telling you truth things. How did you, um, how did you talk to her? How did you respond to her? Um, I, you know, the whole, I was just like, that's horrible. It was in a big class of like 170, and I was teaching about sex ed and how horrible it was. And, you know, I was giving these facts and I show this um, really funny. If you ever just search, I think it's John Oliver and sex ed. Mm -hmm. And he does this really funny skit. And there's one part where he's showing um, a video um, of a woman talking about um, people who aren't women who aren't virgins as like used up shoes. And um, it's a video yeah. And I, so I asked like, what's your reaction in the class? And someone raised their hand and said, I was shown that video. And then the class just started talking and sharing horror stories. And I just dropped the whole lesson and everybody, we just spent like an hour talking with people telling that was the one that stood out as the worst, but there wow. were, there was other bad ones and, you know, people just getting more and more emotional and upset about that they had been told these lies and how are you supposed to enjoy something you've been told is going to ruin your life you well, know that, I'm glad you you allow time for that in your in your lectures in your classes because that is comprehensive sex ed to talk about the feelings and the past experiences behind this stuff yeah thank you thank you I love that I've always thought of comprehensive sex ed as you know you know talking about pleasure and all that and and comprehensive plus is, you know, really even naming the clitoris and all that. But you're right. The feelings and the experiences are so important about the shaming. Um, 
we've gotten. And speaking of shaming, that's another one of the reasons in our culture is slut shaming. Mm. I mean, I, you know, women are so slut shamed still. Um, and it's very hard to enjoy sex that you think you're maybe I'm being a slut for having this, you mm. know? And so that's another one. So um, we've, we've got number one is the, the sort of the penetration myth. The next one is the story you just talked about. What are some other reasons for this gap? Slut shaming. Yeah. Slut shaming. Yeah. Slut shaming. Um, um, I just want to say one thing about slut shaming because I don't think we're going to talk about it too much because we just did an episode on that. But one of the things that I found in your book to be really profound in terms of like reconciling your own feelings of slut shaming that you might have is kind of the proclamation to yourself that you have to believe that you have as much right to enjoy casual sex as any partner with whom you have casual sex. Absolutely. And that Absolutely. is just so obvious, but also so well stated and so like not necessarily naturally occurring in the brain. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I also tell, talk to readers about stop slut shaming other women and yourself. Yeah. You know, both go hand in hand, you know, they really do. So slut shaming and you just labeled one. Another one is, Lack of feeling entitled um, and uh, entitled in a good way. You know, I, I deserve this way um, to pleasure because, you like know, feeling, so feeling many, good enough that you yeah, are owed this yeah. pleasure. Yes, that it's just as much your right as a partner. We we often have um, basically what happens is we socialize women to to think more about appearing good and looking good and attracting a partner than to feeling good. What yeah. feels good. My and grandfather, so, you know, as liberal as he is, we had a very extensive conversation after Thanksgiving dinner about how my armpit hair is attracting the wrong type of man. And he was really worried about it. Because I have, oh, I, wow. I don't shave, I stopped shaving my arm or waxing my armpit hair like a year and a half ago. And I really like how that feels. And I think it looks kind of cool, especially when I dye it pink. And he was genuinely concerned about like, about the fact that I had armpit hair. That you hair. might be attracting the wrong type of He's like, partner. you're attracting a radical smelly guy. Well, you know, that's, that is just exactly like you are, a you, he, your grandfather, as liberal as he is, I mean, in what you told me, I was just like amazed. It's, he sounds amazing in so many ways, mm-hmm. yet he's saying you must look good to attract a partner. And that puts, I mean, it, there's so many layers of wrong with that, you know, so, you know, and, and that really contributes to the orgasm gap. And so does um, body image self-consciousness mm. mm-hmm. because it's very hard. I say this in Becoming Clitorate. It's very hard to have an orgasm when you're holding, you're trying to hold your stomach in or worrying about. <laughs> yeah. How are you looking? I, Can they see this fold? I, Can they smell me? Right. I've had right. so many partners tell me that when I come, it looks like an exorcism that I'm just like, I've let it go. And you're like, thank you. I love I watching like, the exorcist. I look insane. I, and you know what? They're damn good orgasms. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. Do you. Good for you. And yeah, to orgasm really requires letting go of self-consciousness. So, mm-hmm. you know, it is really, I'll tell you a story I wrote I, this is not in Becoming Clitorate. I did write it in one of my Psychology Today blogs. Yes, please. Is the first um, 
the first person I ever got naked with. This is just a terrible story. But I, and I don't want to bash men because I, I, I'm, I'm heterosexual. I'm married to a man. I do not think the orgasm gap is men's fault. I say, you know, it's because they have the same lies too. So I'm just telling a personal story. I'm not, you know, this guy was a jerk. I'm not saying guys are jerks. Okay. So the first guy I was ever sexual with and that I took my clothes off in front of, he said to me, wow, your stomach looks a lot bigger with your clothes off than with your clothes on. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. Isn't I hate that him. I hate him too. <laughs> How much do you think that fucked you up? Because for me, I, I have really big breasts and I was totally uncomfortable with taking my bra off in front of sexual partners as a teenager. And then for like my high school boyfriend's birthday one year, I like took off my bra and he like saw my breasts for the first time and we were already having like penetrative sex. Um, not while I did this, but like in our relationship, which is like a big step in high school, although it shouldn't necessarily be per becoming clitorate. Anyway, um, I took off my bra and I showed him and he goes, but, but Simone, they're magnificent. Oh, <laughs> that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Oh, props to that guy. Well, he's such I a great a, guy. I had a similar experience, Lori. In college, I had someone say, um, he said something like, oh, you haven't nursed children before, have you? <gasps> and in literally oh literally the span of like the same five minutes said, I could see your cellulite from here. Why oh. were you still allowing him to look at your naked body? Well, we were started having conversation about, and I, I mean, obviously we didn't hook up after that, but I was like, what? Like, That's who, so insane. Why, and why do, why do people say things why like that? Why have I never had partners say shit like this? Or maybe they maybe have. Maybe it's the armpit hair. The armpit hair is relatively new. I've been fucking for much more than I've had <laughs> armpit hair. But, but that's so interesting. I mean, I don't know. Well, maybe I just don't remember it. I just remember positive things. Like one guy, or, like came up from my vulva after he was eating me, and he goes, "You taste so good, like mint." <laughs> Which I thought was oh, insane, that's I awesome! Maybe you've just had great experiences, and that would be wonderful. Yeah. But here we are, three women, and two of three of us have had body shaming experiences during a sexual encounter. So, and up. the culture is body shaming. You know, that's why I use the example in the book, you can't have an orgasm while holding your stomach in because literally I tried for years after that until I realized, wait a minute, this is not working. You know, mindfulness, being less self-conscious, mm. being body positive is, you know, and it's very hard to grow up as a woman in this culture and not have um, body shaming. Yeah. Um, How so, were you able I, to let it go after all that time? Um, I think I picked better partners, um, and I worked on my own body image and therapy and, you know, valuing my body. And, um, you know, I think I just really worked on it and I have to give props to my very clitorate, you know, husband of 30 years now who I oh, told oh. him that story and he was, or 32 actually. And, you know, he was like, oh, Let's love your tummy. I want to give your tummy so much love. You know, it's been deprived oh, I love and just very people. affirming yeah. um, of my, but, and not relying on external affirmation either. Just really coming to overcome all our body, negative body shaming, because so many women think they smell bad or look bad. And, 
and it goes to genitals too. I mean, I'm, yeah. I know you but all you know, know about this. There's, there's this, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, please, 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 please. There's this epidemic of women thinking their genitals look and smell ugly oh, too. Mm-hmm. Like at the Barbie so clamshell. The Barbie exactly. clamshell. So you know about this? That's the one of the most, it's labioplasty has now overcome uh, plastic as like the most common plastic surgery. I just hadn't heard the term Barbie clamshell. Because that's what they want. They want to look like a Barbie. Wow. No, no yeah. labia sticking out. Yeah, and, and all parts of the body. It might be the clamshell or the baby, Barbie. Maybe it's not the Barbie clamshell. <laughs> it's, it's like a fun <laughs> fragrance. It just makes me sad. So what is, I mean, we keep using the word clitorate. What is clitorate? So clitorate is the play on words literate. Oh, I mean, I get and- it, but for our <laughs> listeners. <Right. laughs> but what is it to be clitorate? Yeah. Um, bas- <laughs> basically, it is to be knowledgeable about your own body. And I don't just mean your clitoris. I mean your entire vulva because there's lots of nerves all over, your inner lips, all that. But it's to be knowledgeable about your own you know, the clitoris, the vulva in general, but even more important, it's to be knowledgeable about your own most reliable route to orgasm because most, that's another source of the orgasm gap is that most women do not know their bodies. They've never looked, they think it's dirty or, ooh, you know, and to know what your body is, to know what know brings thyself. it pleasure and Yes, and then to be able to use good communication skills and to to say to a partner, this is what I need. So being clitorate is honoring your own most reliable route to orgasm. And and even those 4% of women, if that, you know, who orgasm from thrusting alone, they're clitorate if that's what they're asking for during a sexual encounter. It's about owning what you Mm. need and want sexually. So I have a, a question um, I was working with, this has been a couple clients, but just a story in particular. Um, you're talking about using your like known best route to orgasm or to pleasure because um, it you know doesn't always end in orgasm. Um, but folks who learned how to pleasure themselves from an early age by something like laying, if you have a vulva or are a vulva owner, um, laying on their fists like face down and like oh, yeah. grinding on it. Um, and so a lot of female bodied people I know who have used this as their main way feel like they can't do it with a partner or are afraid to show their partner that way because it doesn't look like the, you know, sitting on your back, rubbing your clit. They need to read Becoming Clitorate because a lot of women do that. And I learned that from Dr. Lori Mintz. Yeah. So what do people who do it that way? Like, can folks learn to orgasm in another way or, you know, are they like, is it okay to be stuck with your one, you know, easy route to get there? Yeah, I that think is we should such use a the good word question. stuck. Stuck? I don't think we should use the word stuck for that. I don't think you're stuck with one way. I think maybe you have a way, and like, is it possible to, to train your body that to way come? or accept that way? Yeah, and I think you can still accept that way and still like want to work on retraining your body to, yeah. to achieve other. This is forms. Ju- I'm saying that this is the worry of those folks. No, like, for am sure, I stuck? Sure. I, can I only come this way, and I don't want to do it in front of partners? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think I've heard that a lot too. So I do have some answers, but first, I also want to really. Thank you and comment um, that you're using gender inclusive language, vulva owners. And I didn't do that. I just want to say I didn't do that in the book just because it, and I, I wanted to appeal to this broad audience, but a paperback version is coming out and I'm going to address more gender inclusive language and 
you know, really have been using the words woman, but really I'm talking about anyone who owns a vulva, anybody mm-hmm. who has a vulva. So thank you for using that language. And so well, my it would answer- be, It would be great if you could have a future book about trans pleasure, because I mean, obviously we're talking about the gap between male, female, but there's such so much to talk about there. And hopefully we can talk about it in another episode. Yes, that would be great. And I actually have some colleagues at the University of Minnesota Medical School who are working on that. And, um, you know, they're just fantastic. Um, and um, we'll be presenting hopefully together at a conference on that. But anyway, cool. the, back to your question, um, you know, my answer is actually twofold. And it's it's both of your answers in a sense. The first thing is to say any any um, way that you pleasure yourself can be incorporated into partner sex with some creativity and communication. Agreed. And, and yeah, and and so you know it, it. You know, if you pleasure yourself by laying down and rubbing on pillows, or laying down and rubbing on your fist, um, you know, talk to your p- partner about that. There's a perhaps you could use rear entry intercourse yeah, while really you're that. laying on your fist. Yes. Or you know, so I think and I say this in becoming cliterate that the most um the most essential step to be or for for clitoris owners um to be orgasmic with a partner is to transfer their self-pleasure techniques into partner pleasure. And sure, some are a lot easier to transfer than mm-hmm. others. But any can be transferred with some creativity. Um, Even, for example, women who um, orgasm through a shower, you know, or through a shower head. Have, you know, get in the shower, have the person hold the shower head, and then get out of the shower and have some whatever pleasures the partner. So anything can be transferred. But then that question of, well, what if I want to learn a new way? Can I retrain my body? Mm-hmm. Um, I always ask, well, why do you want to, first mm-hmm. of all? And if it's because you're buying into that you're broken or your way isn't good, well, I talk about that. But because, you know, we don't ask most penis owners to um, transfer their most reliable <laughs> so route. So true. Um, <laughs> we don't. They, 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 we don't. They, if it's oral sex or if it's intercourse. But you know, this question comes up a lot with vibrators, you know, like, you know, what if you all love to orgasm with the vibrator? Well, then why not always orgasm with it? But people worry about that. So yeah. my answer is the same for this is, you know, you can certainly try and most people end up with some success of retraining their body to orgasm in different ways. But why do you like need if to? You're, but why do you need to? Yes, exactly. Is it because you're buying into that myth that there's a better way? And I think what's really interesting that you brought up is about bringing your self-pleasure into partnered sex. And I just got to say, like, I agree with you, but that's that's hard. Like, it's hard. for mm-hmm. some reason, even, you know, me or Nicoletta, who's like, I would say pretty cliterate. <laughs> it still it still can be hard. I'm definitely thinking about like when I was younger to like say to a partner, I want this, I like this. And I'm even thinking about the friends with benefits that I thought of that I mentioned earlier. I he would he would he would touch me and he'd say things like, Does she like that? Referring to my vulva or my clit. And 
I remember telling my friends that it was so weird that he was asking me. Like, I used to make fun of him for being like, does she like that? <laughs> but, like, he was just trying to figure out if he was doing the right thing. Maybe he could and have I asked, just, do you like that? I know. <laughs> what really weirded me out was, like, the she for my genitalia. But but I also, like, kind of was, like, always, like, yeah, yeah. But I could have used that opportunity to be, like, go faster, go slower. Although, no, I think I maybe did come with this guy. I don't know. But I do know that I fully 100% made fun of his attempt to ask me what I liked. How fucked up is that? Well, I mean, that's sophomore it, it, year for you. It's what? I'm pardon, what did you say? That's being a sophomore in college for you. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't, I mean, I, I would be a little more gentle with you. That's like who, what, before you learned a lot of what you know now, but, but it really does speak to the culture. Like that we, that even you, you know, a sex positive feminist is making fun of someone who's, who's, who's saying, Hey, your pleasure is important to me. Yeah. You know, and it is, it's so this stuff, even for feminists, I kind of use the metaphor of weight a lot sometimes with clients that like, even, even, um, a woman who is very against, you know, our cultural ideas of the ideal female body and is very feminist it's so deeply ingrained in our culture is going to have some negative body image dieting type behavior often. And it's very much like that. You can be so sex positive and so feminist and still have this like in you, this like, well, struggle to articulate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have this exercise. I don't know if you got to this part in the book or if you remember it, where I say, like, imagine you're having, like, sex with, um, like, you have a clitoris, right? And I'm going to do the exercise with, with you. I'm imagining. Okay. Okay. So you're having sex with a man. And imagine a sexual encounter where he has an orgasm and you don't. Okay. How do you feel? Do you feel upset? Do you feel mad? Do you feel ashamed? Do you feel worried? I don't and, like that. Okay. How are you feeling, so, Nicoletta? Um, I feel mixed. I feel like it would depend on the situation. Right. Like if I'm just saying okay. like, hey, babe, let me suck your dick. And then it's just them. And I'm like, great. I wasn't really in the mood. We can go I'm on with the of day. Like a one time, I'm thinking of like a one-time But a one-time person, I, like I, would feel, I would feel kind of empty, sort of used. Okay. Okay. Now let's reverse it. Let's ha- imagine a scenario where it's, it's you have an orgasm and he doesn't. How do you feel? How do you feel, Simone? I, I I was reaching for a high five. Oh, you were reaching for a high five? <laughs> I thought you were raising I your hand like, let me speak. I fine with that. As a matter of fact, my senior year of college, I decided to take back all the unreturned blowjobs that I'd given, and I started to allow boys to eat me out, and when they were done, you said, I thanks, was done, bye. I got up and I left, <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> I, I, I felt more of the old school, like, um, would they be mad? What? They made right. you come. Yeah. But if it's a one-time person, I would feel yeah. like, oh, it's your turn now. I have to return the favor. Yeah, but how many times have you hooked up with a guy and you didn't come and they did? Mm, I don't know. I usually like, try I to— Like, I think now we're not like that at all. I guess it depends. I'm thinking about the shitty sex I had in college. Because I usually take responsibility—I've learned to take responsibility for my own orgasm. So mm-hmm. if I feel like I can't come during that— interaction I'm sort of like oh it's not my day or I'm just not you know totally can't get there today so I try to 
it You're doesn't so feel good at like not a being goal oriented. Well, it doesn't feel like a a loss. I mean, I might be a little frustrated physically, but it's just sort of like, oh, you know, that sucks. Sorry, I can't come today. Mm. Can't come mm. today. See can't tomorrow. come today. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. Come again. <laughs> Well, I have to say both of your reactions are, and it's not surprising, right? Because as you can imagine, you know, most reactions to that are like, well, I would feel a little disappointed, but okay, if it was still good sex in the first and like, ooh, that's weird. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. Like that's yeah. too far from like. Oh, really? I can't too- even imagine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, so then I want to, what I think is one of the most important things that I took from Becoming Clutter is really reframing the conversation and the belief that sex is intercourse, that this foreplay plus intercourse plus his climax equals sex is, is really wrong and really is, as you say, like the biggest lie about getting off. Yeah, or like the base, the baseball, like first base, second base, third base. and I don't it's know, like baseball. <laughs> I only know because of my partner. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like first base is kissing, oh. and then the next step is like hand stuff, then the next step oh, is oral, yeah. and then the home run is only is penetration. The, oh, yeah. So we really teach. And it's true. Like, one thing, that, it's true. We often ask, like, well, did you did you have sex? And something that I've been doing for a while prior to reading Clitterate, because I think I'm just like pre-Clitterate, but um, you say so explicitly in your book, which I didn't even realize I was doing, is I don't ask people, like, if they've had sex. I say, well, did you come? Or, like, what, what, like, what did you do? Did you feel good? Like, what kinds of things did you enjoy? When I, like, ask people about their, their sexual experiences. And I think that's, like, one of a, a really important way to address that is, 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 like, if when someone's like, yeah, I hooked up with so-and-so, instead of asking, well, did you do the penetration, penis and vagina? Because, like... I don't come from why do you, that. Lori, why do you think, um, like, oral, especially on oral on a woman, can't be the end? Like, why have we been acculturated that way? Mm. I, I, think it, I think it back to the same principle we're talking about, that that's, that's not real sex. Real sex is penetration. And that, to me, goes back to, you know, it's, it goes, I mean, it, it goes to patriarchy. You know, yes. You know, penetrative, you know, sex um, is how people get pregnant. But I do not think that that is why people are having sex. Yeah, that is not the weight of of our overvaluing of penetration goes beyond that. And it's also very heterosexist. Right. I mean, it also really deprives um, gay and lesbian and trans individuals Mm -hmm. good sex education. Because, right. or, or even like in doctors will ask, are you sexually active? You like know, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? So, mm. so why is oral, like our whole language is just so wrong about sex. And so oral is considered foreplay. It's part of foreplay. It's what you do to get ready for the main event mm. rather than it is the, the main, main event. event. Yeah, it is the main event. Um, you know, and I talk in the language, the, that chapter is actually my favorite, the linguistic analysis. Oh, good. It's also it's interesting because it's <laughs> just kidding. Oh, yay. Um, you I know, was a linguistics major. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So there you are. So that's why part of why you loved it. But it's um, basically if we, if we, and I don't want to reverse the table, I'm into e- orgasm equality, not reversing the table, but 
just as an exercise, if we were, if we started using words around women's most reliable route to orgasm, then for like oral sex would be sex and intercourse would be post play. Yes. Ooh. I like that. Totally how I use it. <laughs> it's yeah. true because also penetrative sex generally does feel way better after you come. Like, I know personally. Like if you're more relaxed and lubricated? Yes, and also, like, I know personally, like, sometimes I like clitoral stimulation to, like, bring me to orgasm, and then when I come, I'm like, stick it in me! You're like, (laughs) put your fingers in me more! Like, but as I'm coming, and so then, like, but not to get to that point. I think it also, I don't know about you, Lori, but for me, I, I talk to a lot of clients about that for folks who have worries and issues with um, premature ejaculation or coming before they want to or quote-unquote erectile dysfunction because if you've taken care of your partner or your female-bodied partner first and they're done, it doesn't matter really if you last 30 seconds if they don't care about the penetration. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And actually the book by Ian Kerner, She Comes First, A Gentleman's Guide to Pleasing mm-hmm. Women. It's an oral sex how-to manual and basically, he came to his wonderful oral sex, you know, mastery because he was a premature ejaculator. He talks about that in the book. And two other things, you when you were talking about how you prefer oral sex and then you want penetration, so many, so many um, people with vulvas are having painful intercourse. Mm, because they feel like they're supposed to. Right, because they don't. It takes 20 to 45 minutes for an average person with a vulva to get aroused enough before there should be penetration. And the average amount of time that college students are spending in those activities is five minutes. Especially if you're drunk. And another thing about about like painful yeah. intercourse that I, I learned from the book, which I did not know before this. Nicoletta, did you know that when you get aroused, sure, your vagina lubricates, but it also does this thing called tenting and gets longer and goes from three to four inches long to five to six inches long, which is big enough to take a dick? I did know that. Oh. Well. <laughs> but I'm sure there are many listeners who are like, whoa, mind blown, tenting. Isn't that, I mean, I love that. I think that's, and that obviously makes so much sense. How do we spend the, how do we spend some time doing that when I guess in, whether you're a college student or a parent or just, I don't know, an adult in everyday life, how do we do that when we don't always have all that time? Because 20 to 45 minutes might be all the time you have or less that day. That's a good question. So how do you take the time? How do you make sure you're aroused? You know, I would say it'd it'd be fantastic to try to have sexual encounters when you have that kind of time because you'll be able to relax more. Right. But if you don't, do what you need to do to get yourself. um, Well, actually, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to take a step back and say, in a way, I even was about to answer the question in an unclitterate way, which shows how deeply ingrained that is, right? Mm, Yeah. I was starting to answer the question about how, like, interpreting it as getting aroused enough to have penetration. So I'm going to, like, totally own that and step back and say, just use the time you have to be aroused. It doesn't have to end in penetration. It It doesn't have to end in orgasm. 
if you have five minutes, fool around for five minutes and you'll probably get really horny and it'll lead to something good later. Yeah. So no need to rush through it and no need for it to have to end in penetration or orgasm. But, you know, I own like I wrote the book and even I have to sometimes do what I just did. Is yeah. So if you're myself. If you're struggling with this, know that even us and Dr. Lori, like this is something that is difficult to kind of break through yeah. because of all the facets of it. And another thing I like to tell clients about that is to embrace the idea of all day foreplay or what some people call simmering. Um, so whether that's like sending dirty text messages to each other or like talking about what you want to do to each other later that night, but finding other ways to have fun foreplay intimacy leading up to it if you only have time for a maybe quick interaction later that night. But the quick interaction doesn't have doesn't to involve have to be penetration. penetration. Right. And that's what I think is like one of the most important things is that like when we think of sex as penetration, we're just doing a disservice to ourselves because you're very likely, I mean. So limiting. Statistically, you're probably not one of the 18% to 14% of women that come from thrusting alone. And if you are focusing on having that happen, then you're not focusing on the immense pleasure that you could be getting through clitoral stimulation. And I, I think that that's a really important thing. And I am, I'm, I'm recognizing that I know we have a lot of guys who listen or people who have penises. And I don't want people to think that we're that I personally, I could just speak for myself, that I'm, I'm not like tolerating your penis. Like, I like it. Don't worry. But I think I think that removing this importance of penetration is, like, helpful for you, too, as a guy. Like, you don't have this pressure to last forever. Because guess perform. what? Because guess what? I don't want you to last forever. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> right? Yeah, and I want to underscore that. And I have a chapter in the book that's a summary for men. And it's called You Don't Have to Have a Clitoris to Be Clittered or for People with Penises. And, you know, I talk in there, and I borrow this from Ian Kerner, that— Clitoris, it's not that I'm anti-intercourse. People have asked me that. Like, do you just not like intercourse? Do you think most women don't like intercourse? And I, I never say that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that, but but clitorisy benefits um, people with penises because it takes the pressure off you. If you have a penis, I'm talking to you out there. It takes the pressure off of you to give her an orgasm by lasting long and thrusting hard, which isn't going to do it anyway. And instead, you can Im immerse in your own pleasure and not be so performance focused. And so many sexual problems are due to being performance focused. And, and while we're on this topic, I want to give a little plug out to everyone to please stop making penis sized jokes because. All they do is fuel male insecurities, and mm -hmm. they also they also reinforce that dick know, size matters, which it doesn't. Exactly. If penetration exactly. is not if penetration is not what gets you off, then dick size doesn't matter. No, I mean you can enjoy the feeling of like having a large thing inside of your vagina, but like, there's other large things you can put inside of yourself. Exactly. <laughs> True. <laughs> Are you just thinking of all the things you could put I'm in there? I'm just like looking around your apartment. <laughs> what can we put in her? Oh my gosh. No, but that's really true. I think you say something really important about like, and I'm totally guilty of this, but 
like making dick sized. First of all, men are bombarded with totally unrealistic expectations. When we had Jessica Drake on, she talked about how in, how in her how in her educational videos, Guide to Wicked Sex, they did something kind of uh, groundbreaking, which was showing an, a flaccid penis and kind of this expert. Like, and so the expectation that you're supposed to be, like, hard and ready to go. And that also is showing that, like, some pe- most penises are not bigger than seven inches. Most of them are, like, five to six. And just, I don't know, acknowledging right. that. You know, porn, porn, men are chosen for porn or for big penises, and women are chosen for these clamshell Barbie, Barbie, Barbie clam. looks. <laughs> Barbie so, you know. That's not how most of us look, and that's not how most, I mean, I'm, it's not how most of us orgasm the way that's shown. Um, so I think it's, that's really an important message. Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm, like, feeling sad because we have to start wrapping up. Um, but holy shit, yeah, Dr. Yeah, we Lori. are so grateful for you and the work that you do. And if you haven't read it, whether you are a vulva owner or not, like, if you know someone who has a vulva, which pretty much describes everyone in the world, like, you should read this book. You should read this book. Yeah, they can get it anywhere that their books are sold, ebooks, or it's now an audio book too. So Amazon, Ooh. Barnes and Noble, indie bookstores, you know, Books a Million, anywhere books, ebooks, or audio books are or sold. Your local public you library. Book- yeah, that's true. The library Simone too. Simone loves the library. Fucking so love if libraries. you are someone who struggles in traffic, definitely get this audiobook. You will learn so much. I shit you not. As someone who like thinks they know a lot about sex. I learned so much from this book. So yeah, even you'll learn about communication with people not about sex, like your roommate. So how can people find or get a hold of you besides buying your book? You can go to my website, www.drlorimince.com, and it gives my contact information, how to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and also how to just send me an email. Um, all that's on my website. Is your and Instagram I handle Lori Mintz, Dr. Lori Mintz, M-I-N-T-Z? Doc- yes, Dr. Lori Mintz. Amazing. Oh, it's my gosh. My Insta- Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle are all Dr. Lori Mintz, and that's my website, too, so it's pretty easy to remember. <laughs> yeah, I, I love you, Dr. Lori Mintz. <laughs> Thank you oh, so I much. You too. I'm so happy that someone, it's such music to my ears that, Someone who's so sex positive and feminist likes my book and even even learn well, new we things. We love your book. We love it. Like, really. Well, thank you. And I love the work you're doing, you know, talking openly and, you know, having guests on and spreading really, really wonderful sex positive messages for Gospel. people. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we would love to have you back um, yeah. anytime, but especially after you write your next amazing book, which I'm sure you will do at some point. Um, So if you would like to hear more from us and know what's going on and follow us, you can see us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, and send us an email with your questions, rants, whatever, at slutsandscholars at gmail. And if you have any questions for us in particular, don't forget we're doing a question and answer episode. So get those questions in and you might just win a fun, fun sex toy. Sluts and Scholars. See you next time.